Welcome to the New Masculine Podcast. This is a place where masculine identifying people come together in community to disrupt outdated models of masculinity and together construct new models for our way forward as men. As a special note, while this conversation is between men, this podcast values all beings and seeks to create positive impacts for all. I'm your host, Travis Stock. I am a master life coach, an equus coach, which means I often partner with horses when supporting clients, and I'm a teacher. In my coaching work, I am passionate about the balance of masculine and feminine energies in each of us, regardless of gender. I seek to help others nurture a relationship with both types of energy, which often leads to a greater sense of wholeness. And yet what I found in my work with men is that many of us have been taught messages about what it means to be a man by first teaching us to avoid anything that is associated with the feminine. That avoidance leads to few experiences of intimacy, emotions outside of anger, vulnerability, or even a sense of belonging. Striving to comply with these models of masculinity has many of us feeling isolated, ashamed, unworthy, afraid, angry, and depressed. That's why I started this podcast, to bring men together who are ready for something new, something more whole. One of the reasons I developed this podcast was to be in community with other masculine-identifying people who know the power of and show up with authenticity. I wanted to create a space where we recognize and celebrate authentic expressions of masculinity in its many forms, rather than the singular and rigid definitions that our culture values. My next guest knows a thing or two about authenticity. In fact, it seems to be a passion for him. Maddox is a personal power coach and the host of the Authentic Gay Man podcast, which seeks to encourage gay men to dive deep, get vulnerable, and have honest and raw conversations with each other. Helping men, regardless of their sexuality, share their stories and feel seen, heard, and valued is a mission I can get behind. He actually interviewed me recently. Check out episode 6 of the Authentic Gay Man podcast to hear more about my story through shame and coping strategies that were holding me back. You see, those of us who do not identify within the heteronormative and or cisgender forms of manhood often must overcome internalized shame taught to us by our culture. That shame and the coping strategies we develop to deal with it often block us from being able to show up fully. Maddox and his work are here to help us live more authentically and reclaim the pieces of ourselves we once left behind. We have had such a fun time collaborating for his podcast that we wanted to keep it going for this episode. Maddox identifies as a leader, as a mentor, and as a gay man. I'm excited to hear more about his journey and to explore the relationship between authenticity and masculinity. So let's welcome him into the new masculine. Thanks for joining me, Maddox. Thanks for having me, Travis. I'm really glad to be here. I've been very excited about this. I know we had so much fun recording for your podcast and I just was actually listening to it um, the other day and I was really just proud of the conversation we had together. That's awesome. Yes, I thought it was an amazing episode. You brought yeah. so much to the table. Oh, I so appreciate that. And now I'm excited to kind of flip the script and see what you have to offer to the conversations that I'm having. Yeah, you're, you got some hard, uh, some hard shoes. I've got some hard shoes to fill following <laughs> you. I have a, I have a feeling you'll be just fine. So, um, is there anything else that I didn't mention in the intro to this podcast that you think it would be useful for the listeners to know about you? Uh, yeah, there is one thing. I, I think it would be useful for the listeners to know that I was a, career hairdresser for 40 years. I closed my salon and retired from the beauty industry the end of 2019. 
Um, I have been studying and practicing and doing coaching uh, since 2008. And all I can say is all of that time behind the chair at the salon was the most amazing preparation for what I'm doing now as a coach. Who knew that it would be that impactful and and prepare me the way that it did? Yeah, I was actually thinking about that when I heard you tell me previously that you used to be a hairdresser, like how much that must have prepared you. Like there, there's that saying that the that often people, their their hairdresser is their therapist. It's the place they go and they talk to. And and there's just this unique space to be able to feel heard and, and to talk about the stresses of your life with someone. So I bet that did really prepare you for well, coach, future coaching conversations. It is very unique. And part of what makes it unique is that even when you see your therapist, your therapist never touches you. And I got to touch my clients and that mm. changes the dynamic and the energy completely. Completely. Well, I'm really curious to find out some of your own stories before we get into the kind of the work that you're doing, the podcast you're hosting. I'd really like to hear some of the stories of you as a man. So when you think about some of the original stories or the original people in your life that taught you what being a man was in this world, what comes to mind? You know, masculinity has always been a really, really tough topic for me. In fact, for most of my life, up until maybe just the last two years, I have mostly avoided the topic. It was not something I wanted to talk about. I didn't didn't relate to that topic. I did not see myself as a masculine man. Um, and I think that came from, well, I was, as a child, I was a, an effeminate little boy. And um, the kids picked up on that, you know. And I was called sissy. And I was called sissy so much that I internalized that and began to believe that I was like girly. And uh, that's that's carried with me through most of my life. Um, I think that I was thinking about this this morning and realizing that um, I had never fully embraced or acknowledged that there was a lot of shame around the masculinity issue. You know, some years ago, I, I read the book, The Velvet Rage, which was all about shame. And after I read the book, I thought, I, I mean, I, I understand it, but I don't, I don't feel that. I don't, I just don't, I, I don't have a real big experience of shame. But this morning, thinking about our conversation that we would have today on this podcast recording, I, I thought, wow, it was just new in that moment, realizing that I had felt lifelong shame because I could not stand up and own being a masculine man. I couldn't own that. And I think for a lot of my life, I didn't think too much about it. But in the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years, I mean, I, I've been out for well over 40 years, but in the last 10 or 20 years, I've watched the gay community generally become very obsessed with masculinity. You can't yes. go into a dating app and read profiles without seeing at profile after profile after profile where they're saying something like masculine seeking the same. And I always felt like that. Every profile that had that on there, I felt like that eliminated me. 
because I didn't feel like I fit into that. I didn't feel like I was a masculine man seeking the same. And it has been really tough. It's made it really hard, the whole dating scene. I think it's only been in the last couple of years that I've started to really come to peace and and integrate. You know, I always identified with the feminine energy really well. I'm very intuitive. Um, you know, for most of my life, if I was calling somebody that I didn't know on the other end of the phone, they would call me ma'am because my voice was a soft voice. You know, I went through a lot of my life hating the sound of my voice. Every time I heard a recording of myself, I absolutely hated my voice. That's that's gone now. I don't hmm. hear that anymore. You know, I, I don't think my voice is any deeper or butcher than it than than I you know than it ever was, but um I've come to peace with it. I, I had a real breakthrough about two years ago. I was um in a group coaching program with a bunch of people. And there was a guy that I started to get close to. We only met each other in person one time, very briefly. So our whole relationship is via zoom. He's about 15 years younger than I am. And he's straight with a wife and kids. And we became close. And one day we decided that we were going to do an exercise. We were going to both commit to doing an exercise where we were going to ground ourselves in the concept of masculinity. And, um, I just sat down and wrote one page that liberated me. It truly, it came out of me like I was channeling it from a higher place. And when I finished writing it down and read it back to myself, it liberated me. There was this integration that happened in that moment. I embraced the part of me that I had never seen as being masculine, but in, in truth, it was there. And now I don't think of myself as masculine or feminine. I think of myself as just this beautiful blend of both. I feel like now that I've integrated it and I'm at peace with both the masculine and the feminine, that I can call on whichever energy I need in any given situation. And there are times when you need one more than the other. And then there's times vice versa. And it has been a game changer. I love what you're pointing to at the end of uh, the share that you're having around this balance of having both and being able to really show up with whatever the moment is asking of you in that moment. Sometimes it's a little more feminine. Sometimes it's a little more masculine. But that you're presenting this access to the feminine and the masculine as a more holistic, well-rounded way of engaging with life rather than sectioning off into one or the other. I wouldn't ever want to be, I would never want to have to make a choice. Yeah. You know, it, it, we, we as human beings oftentimes think in terms of either or, and, and life is not an either or, life is an and. I'm masculine and I'm feminine. Mm. Why do you think it is, especially for us as men, why do you think it is that we do feel like we have to choose one or the other or we get relegated to one or the other? Sometimes it's not a choice. <laughs> well, you know, growing up, we've all gotten lots of messages, you know, really bad messages. I 
my dad caught me at the next door neighbor's house one day with the little girls in the garage trying on dresses. I couldn't have been, but maybe, I don't know, eight years old. And, um, you know, he ripped me out of there so fast it wasn't even funny. Uh, obviously made him really, really uncomfortable. You know, at one point I asked for Barbie for Christmas, you know, when all the other little boys wanted, you know, guns and, and, you know, little rubber army men. And I was asking for Barbie and they just point blank. No, you can't have Barbie. I was turned down on that. I I never got my Barbie. <laughs> and, you were and brave enough a, to ask for one. I was never even brave enough to ask. No, I was brave enough to ask, never got it. And then of course there was a point when I no longer wanted it. Now Barbies don't do anything for me. Mm -hmm. No desire for a Barbie. But as a child, I certainly wanted Barbie. I wanted to comb her hair and dress her up. That's why I became a hairdresser. I like aesthetical things and creative things like that that have to do with appearance and beauty. There's a couple of things I want to pull you a little further out on. One of the things that themes I heard you talking about was sort of navigating a world that doesn't really represent you. So meaning being a child and all the other kids calling you a sissy. Basically, other other boys and other people are saying to you, you don't belong as a boy. You're not a real boy. So that you don't you're not represented there. Then you go and you become an out gay man and you start dating and you start engaging with other men. And then you see men saying, I only want masculine men, no femmes. And you don't see yourself in that. What does that do to a person? What does that do to you? constantly navigating a world that says, no, you don't belong here. No, this isn't for you. Well, I have always had um, I don't belong issue going on, a belief throughout my life. In fact, throughout my life, I've said, no matter what I do, I'm always on the outside looking in. Gosh, I have said that exact same thing. Just, just didn't feel, it didn't matter where I was, what group of people I was around. Somehow I still didn't fit in. I didn't, didn't belong. And, um, it's, it's been painful. It's been really, really painful. And, and that too has only been something that I've really gotten some liberation from in about the last Three years, I, I had the awareness at one point about three years ago that I was the one that was generating the feelings of not belonging. I was the one that was literally doing things that made me not belong. You know, like, for instance, I would go to some party or a gathering where there would be gay men. And rather than being in the middle of the room, mixing and mingling like everybody else, I would stand against the wall or at a corner and I wouldn't engage. And then I would complain that I didn't belong. So I'm, I was setting myself up that way, creating it, and then bitching about it at the same time and playing the victim card. Um, th there's just been such an, an unfoldment in this because just in the last few weeks, I had the awareness that there is a difference between getting attention and truly being seen and heard. I think that 
because I felt like I didn't fit in and I was always on the outside looking in, I was always doing crazy things, trying to get attention. You know, I would dance on the tables. I would tell wild, crazy jokes. I would dress in outlandish outfits. I would have outlandish hairstyles. Um, in this, I, I can look back now and realize I was trying to, well, I have an innate, an innate need to be seen and heard. And I thought that all these things I was doing was in an effort to get that need met. And there was this aha moment when I realized that all I was doing was getting attention. And attention and being seen and heard are two completely separate things. And there is no amount of attention that is ever going to fill that void, that need to be seen and heard. It was a pivotal moment. It's a really powerful distinction. And it makes sense to me that when you grow up feeling like you don't belong and being told you don't belong in some ways, you start to internalize that message over time. And when belonging's not on the table, you might settle for attention as a way of, of getting something from somebody else, something that's a vital required element of being a human in this planet. You might settle for this thinner version, which is attention. Well, and I settled for the thinner version of attention for decades because I just didn't have the clarity of the distinction. The other big aha moment that came somewhere along the way was, you know, you hear you hear people say, and I said it a lot, I just want to fit in. I just want to fit in. And then there was that moment when I realized that there was a really big distinction between fitting in and truly belonging. And what came to me was, in order to fit in, we literally have to carve parts of who we are away, like you take a uh, a stick and a knife and you whittle away on that stick in order for us to, I mean, we're trying to put a square peg in a round hole. And in order to get that square peg in the round hole, you've got to whittle parts of that square peg away. And so I was whittling parts of myself away in order to fit in. That's not true belonging. What I now know, talk about liberation True belonging is when we show up and people just love us and accept us for who we really are. The real deal. It's it's interesting to me to reflect on the metaphor that you created around like the, the square peg and a round hole that we do. I think that's something that we, I've talked about with a lot of men on this podcast is how we learn to divorce ourselves from parts of ourselves in order to fit in from a really early on. We're not allowed to have our emotions. We're not allowed to care. We're not allowed to be vulnerable. We're not allowed to be afraid. We're not allowed to cry. We're not allowed to play with Barbies or to dress up. And so we continuously, as children, whittle parts of ourselves away in order to be acceptable and to belong, like to fit in and to do what we think is about receiving love. Well, then how do you find out what, uh, like, one of the themes of your work is around authenticity. How do you find out what your authentic self is when you've been spending your whole life whittling away parts of yourself? You know, this is such a beautiful conversation and segue into this because one of the big realizations that I've had recently in my work around authenticity is realizing that we are born fully authentic. Mm -hmm. We pop out of our mom fully authentic. Children are fully expressed, self-expressed. 
And we then begin to get messages from our environment, from our parents, from kids at school, from teachers, from coaches, varying different places. Some of it's from advertisements in the media. And we, we begin to, yes, carve parts of ourselves away. And one of the terms that I'm adopting for myself, because I love this term and I can't take credit for this. I heard this from Justin Baldoni, who's one of the hosts of uh, the Man Enough podcast. He says, there's this point where we commit soul murder. Mm. And, I, you know, that really struck me when he said that I could I could feel that in my beingness, soul murder. And and so I began to really spend time thinking about that and realizing that after we do that, and we do that at a pretty early time in our lives, we're probably maybe, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, depending on you know the, the individual. We have this sense that something is missing. And we begin to, we become seekers. And I think this is true for all of us. We completely, the soul murder, divorce ourselves from our true authenticity, however you want to work that. And then we start seeking something that's missing, not knowing what it is. And we, we seek out in the external world. We're, we're seeking the, you know, the right education or we're seeking the, 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 High level job, you know, where we've got our, our plaque on the, uh, on the door. Uh, maybe it's that perfect marriage to that beautiful human being. Um, the big house, the big car, the fancy car, the, the bankroll. There's so many things that we aim for thinking it's going to be what we're seeking. It's going to fill that void that we feel, and that void is something we feel because we divorced ourselves from our true authenticity. This is a new development, too, just realizing that how much of my life I have spent seeking, not knowing what I was seeking, and now realizing what I've been seeking my whole life was to reunite with my own authenticity that I haven't seen since I was a little boy. And that can't be found in the external world. Ever. It can only be found in our internal world. And that's reuniting with that childlike part of ourselves. I so agree with that. And it's confusing because we live in a world, especially in our like sort of capitalistic patriarchal society that we live in the U.S., it teaches us to seek on the outside, to be consumers, to look for something external for ourselves in that value system. And I, I really like this word that you're talking around, like that we become seekers and that we're seeking these things to fill that void. The conversations I'm having with my clients, and I think I have it with all of my clients, but I'm noticing this like trend right now around some of my clients that are in the LGBTQ community, queer clients, where I would even argue that it's beyond seeking and it's actually more like hustling. We're hustling for our value. We're, we're selling parts of ourselves. We're reaching for something. We're like really going after it just to prove something that we already came into the world with that we lost. Well said. And so yes, there's the, the this hustle is like, definitely there. We, yeah. we feel compelled to, it's tied into our, our self worth. Mm -hmm. And 
it's rare, at least in my experience, that there are people that are finding out that that hustling never actually gets them there, that they actually learn to put down the hustle and actually reclaim authenticity, reclaim that full, fully expressed being they came into the world as. I agree completely. And what you just described can't happen without doing the work. I think you're right. I think there are people that seek, hustle till their last breath and never, ever reunite with their authentic self Mm -hmm. because they don't understand that that's what's missing. They're looking for love in all the wrong places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's part of the conversation that we had for your podcast that really stuck with me when I was listening back to it. We were talking about what what do we most want for the our, for our gay brothers for our for others like us and and one of the things i was talking about is to learn how to be with each other in in new ways like we were we had power taken from us we were bullied we were traumatized many of us as little kids and then we learned to interact with other people by doing the same thing by taking power from other people as a way of making or filling our, that void within ourselves. And yet we're just keep this pattern going where we just keep hustling at each other's expense. We keep seeking attention from each other simply through the physical or through catty ways of engaging with each other. And we never, and very rarely do we actually get to land in a place of belonging and safety with each other. And so I think one of the things you're, these things that you're pointing out not only exist, I would imagine exist for all people, but I'm really interested in how this applies to men like you and I, men who have whittled ourselves down at points and then are doing the work to try to reclaim that authenticity again. Yeah, I I know for all of the times I was doing the hustle and, and whittling those parts of myself down, it's never it's never been a happy time. It's been, it's been painful. It's been unfulfilling, ungratifying, lonely. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but I am finding, and I feel truly like fortunate at this point to be finding my way back to my true authenticity. Because as I do that, and I, it's, it's, an, it's this internal thing, you know, as I do that, the world is reflecting that back to me. Mm-hmm. Everything and everyone around me, you know, if you want to know where you are, just look where you're at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you <know>? If you <laughs> want to know what's going on inside of you, look at what's going on immediately outside of you because it's always a mirror showing you exactly where you are. I asked a group the other night, you know, so how do you know? when you're actually authentic. And there were all these answers. And I came back and I said, those are all great answers. I love them all. Here's my answer. You know that you are fully authentic when the world is responding to you from that place. Hmm. The world is reflecting back to you that because they're responding to you in a manner that they've never responded to you. I am having a response from humanity and and just the universe. It's more than people. It's almost like, well, 
I mean, I now I'm starting to have the conversation that authenticity and vulnerability play a, a very important role in our ability to manifest. So it's more than just people. It's the universe itself. I am finding that as I step more into my authentic self, the universe is responding to me, not just people. But the universe is responding to me in a very different, more kind and, and loving and supportive manner. It's, it's remarkable. Yeah, and I think such a good example is what you were sharing earlier around that sense of belonging. And you, all, you carried the story for a long time that you didn't belong and that it was other people that didn't want you or didn't want you around. And then you recognize that part of you that was operating from that perspective of not belonging and creating that sense of not belonging. And when you notice that and actually do the work to not be the wallflower on the side, at a side of a, of a house party or some sort of gathering or something, and you actually start engaging with people, you actually start to recognize that belonging can exist. As long as you start to do the work on yourself to do that, you were sharing that. And I, I have been through so much of that same journey where I used to say, I don't belong. I don't fit in and nobody likes me. I'm always on the edge of a group. I'm never on the inside of the group. And it, I had that very same realization that I was one of those, one of the players in that, that I was deflecting people, that I was keeping people out, that the walls I had created and the, the coping strategies I had created didn't allow myself to belong. They weren't meant for belonging. They were meant for survival. Exactly. And when I did that work, it changed my experience of the world. Yeah, you're exactly right, Travis. That, that is a big part of something else that I was doing. And that was people didn't like me because they didn't know me. I didn't let them know me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, we, we talk about how we wear armor. Shit, I didn't have armor. I had a fortress <laughs> with a, a moat, friggin fortress. with a drawbridge pulled up with a drawbridge, a moat, uh -huh. yeah. lots of alligators, <laughs> you know, the, the, the whole bit. And it's, it's, the work is about changing my, my narrative. I had to stop saying I don't belong. I had to stop saying I'm on the outside looking in. I had to start telling myself that I have just as much right to belong as anyone else. And then I had to start operating from that. Now, when I go to social gatherings, I'm not up against the wall or in the corner. I'm engaging. Um, now I have, I've dismantled the fortress. And, and once I made the determination that I needed to do that, and, and this is maybe a critical point, and I'm glad this just kind of surfaced. This, this is, this is a, a critical point to this. The only way we're able to take the armor off or dismantle the fortress, whatever you've got going on, is we have to feel a sense of safety. Yeah. First and foremost. And I realized that for all of my life, I had been looking for that sense of safety out here. Once mm -hmm. again, in the external world, you know. Looking at people going, mm, do you have a safe space for me? Mm, do you have a safe space for me? Do you have a safe space for me? And never finding it. And then having this big moment when I realized that's not their responsibility. That's your responsibility. You have to create that safe space for you. And that has to happen 
inside of you. And of course, I know the next question that anybody would naturally ask, well, how the hell did you do that? And there's probably lots of ways to skin a cat, but the way I did that, I mean, I'm no stranger to inner child work. Maybe that's something you've never even heard of. There's volumes, there's books written on it. Um, there's therapists that specialize in inner child work. All I can say about inner child work is it rocks. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it, it rocks. It's been a, a life changing experience for me, but for me to, to feel this sense of safety within, I had to sit down and have a conversation with my inner child where I reassured that little seven-year-old that lives inside of me. We all have a little kid living inside of us. I reassured him that I had his back, that I was going to take care of him, that I would do whatever I had to do to protect him and take care of him. And as soon as I established that and created that internal safe space, suddenly everywhere I looked, I saw a safe space. People had been creating safe space for me all along, but I couldn't see it because I didn't have it inside of me. It's kind of like that, oh, re active, how do you, active reticulator? I, I never can keep that term straight. You know, a, a woman becomes pregnant and suddenly all she sees are pregnant women. Mm. You go out and you buy a new car. Let's say you buy a, Volkswagen Beetle. And everywhere you look, all you all of a sudden, all you see are Volkswagen Beetles. It's kind of like that. Yeah. It's kind of like that. You, If you're a, a large person, everywhere you go, all you see is large people. You know, it, that's the way it works. Well, as soon as I created that safe space inside of me, I could see safe space everywhere where I had never, ever seen it before. I mean, that's playing out in a big cultural moment right now with our like sort of news and social media silos that we're in. When we believe something, we start to look for evidence that supports the belief system we have already. And so we section off into different camps and receive different kind of news and different filters on what we absorb that validate something we already believe. And there's a reason why we keep clicking and keep watching those things because they validate something we already believe. So there's an unconscious way of engaging with this, which takes us down a path and sections us off and reinforces belief systems, whether they're helpful or not to us. Exactly. But this can be just as detrimental as it can be beneficial, depending on your level of awareness. Absolutely. You, it's like a gun. You got to point it in the right direction. Yeah. And we're watching a lot of the challenging aspects that come from that, that sort of confirmation bias thing that we are, that we're always playing out. But we can utilize that in a really powerful and positive way. Use it for good rather than evil, where we start to reflect on who are we becoming? What do we want to see in the world? What are our values? What are our ideals? And then start to look for evidence of that, to create that internally, to look for evidence of that so that we start to build new experiences in the world that help us move from, move on from that, where that seven year old child is stuck, that yes. helps us develop in a new way. Because you're right. We all do have a, uh, the, for the men on this podcast, we all do have a seven year old boy that's trapped in us who made some associations 
learn some coping and safety strategies at the time and still calls the shot sometimes. <laughs> and if you're not aware when that inner child is calling the shots, then it has control over you. Something else is driving your behavior and you're not in control anymore. You're not in a balanced approach. You don't have choice anymore. It's it's just automatic autopilot. I told a friend the other day that's going through a hard time, either you master your mind or your mind masters you. Yeah. Do you want to be the master or do you want to be the slave was the question I asked him. You know, when I realized that I had had this I don't belong dialogue going on and I wanted to change it to the yes, I belong dialogue. Then the stories that I told myself and the evidence that I looked for had to change. I had to look for evidence that validated that, yes, indeed, I belonged. And, you know, no matter what it is we look for, if we look long enough, we'll find it. Yeah. You know, the old saying, be careful what you ask for because you might just get it. (laughs) That applies here. You know, I, I, I ask. To, to have a sense of belonging, I chose to believe that I belonged. And then I began to look for the evidence that validated that. And it absolutely showed up. Yeah. And there's a nuance to this that I want to highlight that to acknowledge the strength that it takes to do that work. Because if you are a gay boy growing up in this world and you're told you don't belong, you have to create a sense of belonging without ever having been taught how to do that. If you're a man in this world who's been taught not to be vulnerable, to not be, to not express your fear or your caring emotions, then you have to develop an access point to that all on your own in many ways. You can get help from a therapist. You can get help from friends and family in your life. But some of those early formative things where you develop some of those patterns, you didn't have access to it. And so, yes, It is our responsibility to take our own healing and transformation journeys into our own hands. And I just want to acknowledge the strength that that takes to develop something that you've never experienced in your life. It takes strength and it takes a shitload of courage. Totally. You know, when I think about all the times that I told myself that I wasn't masculine, and then I look back on... My, my spiritual, personal growth, self-awareness journey, I am in my 37th year. And I have really done the work, like really done the work. And I never really have thought much about it. But looking back now, I think I I, I have to reach back and pat myself on the back for the courage that I summoned up and the strength. To do that work, because I've been, I've been on the hero's journey, and there's so many other ways that we can word that. But it can be really hard and really painful at times. Now, that's not a reason to not do it. Mm-hmm. You know that that is the reason to do it. Um. The work is necessary. I mean, if there was any one message that I was going to say to the listener out there, if you're a gay man and you're not doing your work, you're missing out on the absolute best part of your life. 
the best part of existence. Yes, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be necessary. If you want to have a meaningful and fulfilling life with meaningful and fulfilling relationships, you got to do the work. There's no, no, no way to cheat the system. I couldn't agree more. So let's kind of, we've been hearing about your own personal journey and we've kind of been relating to each other based on some shared experiences of the world and, and what we've internalized. I'd love to sort of shift us into the work that you're doing now. I know historically, I mean, if you go to your website, if, and I know historically you've talked about it with me about like that you've historically worked with predominantly women. Yes. Why now are you going into this Authentic Gay Man podcast and really shifting some of your focus there? It's been such a journey and it's been back and forth, you know, for most of my life because I didn't feel like I fit in. And particularly in the gay community, I had very, very few friends. I had tons of acquaintances, people that I knew very vaguely. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. I knew their name. I recognized their face. I could speak to them on the street. But did we know each other? No. All of my friends throughout my life have been straight people, male and female. The vast majority of my clients as a hairdresser were female. And I have always been able to be, this is the really crazy oxymoron. I have always been able to be my authentic self with my straight friends, male and female. That's been the easy part. Oh, interesting. It's been impossible for me to be my authentic self in the presence of gay men. There was even a point about three years ago when I was like, why do women eat out of the palm of my hand and men don't? It's gay men, I mean. Because some of the straight men eat out of the palm of my hand. <laughs> gay men, no. And then there was this moment when I went, well, because you're two completely different people. Hmm. If you ever could come to the point where you show up with gay men the way you show up with straight male and female, your life will change. You, it's it's going to change. But you're not even remotely being yourself when you're around the gay boys. I thought, golly, I don't know how to do that. Hmm. Well, yes, you do. Stop it. You do know how to do that. Just think about how you respond to your straight friends, how you act, the way you talk to them, the way you look at them, the way you touch them, and just start to lean into that with gay men. And so I did. And things started to shift a little bit, a little bit more and a little bit more. There was a time after years of work with, with women at the salon, and then most all of my coaching clients have been women, about four years ago, 2017, I thought, you know, I'm going to work with gay men. And I, I bought the URL, the AuthenticGayMan.com. And I, I was really like working on this. And, and, and then there was this moment when I went, what makes you think you can coach gay men? Mm -hmm. You don't even like gay men. <laughs> you don't have any gay friends. You don't like gay men. You don't feel safe around gay men. What makes you think you can coach them? And I went, wow. 
you know, saved by the bell. You know, so I retreated. I retreated and went back to my women. And time went by. And I retired from the salon and the pandemic came and there was lots of time locked in my house by myself to really reflect on all of this and think about it. But I also, over that period of time, had through my work with a coach and just my own exploration was starting to engage men a little bit and started. I had attracted a couple of three friends that I was hanging out with and I was getting to be a little bit more myself and a little bit more myself. And, and then in the last year, it just really blossomed. I got into a, a large virtual community for gay men and found it easier to just be myself. And so men started really responding to me in a really, really favorable and positive way. And I'm like, what's happening here? You know, I'm looking around going, what? This has never been my experience. And it was just like a rude awakening after over four decades of being in a community that I didn't feel any connection to whatsoever. And now I have more really cool gay men in my life, virtual and local, than I can actually like find time for it's kind of like crazy you know so, <laughs> so many men so universe little responding time. again <laughs> yes and, and i and i'm not talking about sex or romance i'm talking about platonic relationships i'm talking about men that when we get together whether it's in person or virtually we we reveal ourselves there is that component of as brene brown refers to she says the definition of vulnerability is emotional risk. And I've learned to take those emotional risks. In fact, I've gotten where I will literally say vulnerability is my superpower and I wield it like a sword. I've determined that, you know, that vulnerability builds bridges, opens doors and clears pathways in a manner that nothing else can. And so as this all begin to shift for me and I begin to have gay friends and I begin to actually like gay men and not be so intimidated and frightened, then it just started to naturally emerge. I had let the URL go, the authenticgayman.com. I had let it go and I, and I had to pay a lot more to get it back. It was $12 the first time I bought it. <laughs> After I let it go, I had to pay a lot more to get it back. And then it just emerged. It just emerged the podcast and um, it's been the most amazing journey. And I have gay men reaching out to me from all over the world now. I get messages on Messenger and comments on Facebook and uh, from all over the world. I'm I'm just like shocked every as I'm listening to you share how often I find myself going, oh yeah, I know that story. That that's exactly how I felt. Oh that's oh I've been through that. Like I had that same experience right before launching this podcast where I almost gave myself the out. I'm like, you don't feel safe with men. Men are going to criticize you. They're going to say, what does this gay boy have to tell us about being a man? You're going to get rejected. You're going to fail. I had all those same like very vicious stories coming back up into my mind that almost convinced me to just 
hands off and and back away from the from the the gig but it was sort of taking recognizing for myself that if i did that i would feel like i failed and the reality is if i try it i could fail so basically what that means is i could fail either way but at least trying it there's an opportunity to succeed there's an opportunity to step into another layer of my own healing and transformation around this work around masculinity this place where i felt like i failed from the moment i came into the world so it sounds like you and i both created our works based on our own personal experience and transformation that we've been through absolutely all of that is what has prepared me to have the conversations that i'm having on the podcast now yeah no, I, I have realized that I, I've had really wonderful straight friends throughout my life. But I've realized that they haven't walked in my shoes. There is this need that I have as a gay man for a form of connection that can't be fulfilled with straight people. I, I love my straight friends. They are so good to me. They honor me. They love me. They accept me. They are always uplifting me. But there's still this place where they can't go. And I'm only going to get that from being with other gay men. And I think what drove a big part of this was I realized I didn't want to live my life out and die without experiencing what it felt like to really be part of my own community. And, and I'm not necessarily talking about the, the community at large. Maybe it'll just be a group of eight or ten men that I really, really create a tight circle with my own little tribe. I don't know what it's going to look like yet. But I want that thing, whatever it is, that I want to go to that place with these men, that place that the straight people can't go. I want to experience that more than anything. I think it's a vital part of our experience, especially for communities of people that have had been traumatized, been disadvantaged, have experienced hardship, that belonging to people who understand that, belonging with and and being able to shorthand your experience with each other. I think it's so important and such a natural human thing to do. That's why you look at like, I live in Capitol Hill, the gay neighborhood of Seattle. And so we gather in communities and we live near each other because there's a sameness and because we can get away with certain things. Communities of color can sometimes do that. Cultural communities will gather together. Religious communities will gather together. There's a, when you have a shared life experience, of course, you'd want to be in safe, belonging connection with people like you. There is this, I, I, I don't know, there's, there seems to be this innate desire to seek sameness and to be with people that get it. Absolutely. I mean, in, in the whole 31 years I've lived in Dallas, 30 of it or 29 of it, I've lived right here in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. and yet still was not part of my own community. Could, could live in the midst of it and still not be part of it. And it's, it's shifting in a pretty profound way. And I, I don't know if I can even 
really express it in words of how how this makes me feel to be building relationships with men where I really do feel like they would have my back and I would have their back. I mean, I, I have this vision for our community that is much different than what our community really is doing. I, I want us to, you know, put our barbed swords down, you know, and stop doing to each other what was done to us. It's time for us to lift our, each other up, to lift ourselves up and to lift each other up. It's time for us to be all that we can be. I want, you know, I, I always say, man, this is people in general, but I think, gay okay, man, we got an extra dose of this. Intimacy and closeness is something that we absolutely crave in our beingness. And at the same time, it scares the absolute shit out of us. And somewhere along the way, we've got to step through our fear. We got to stop doing all the crappy crap that we do that pushes people away. We've got to, we've got to put down our coping and defense mechanisms and learn to relate. There's something I really love about what you're speaking to because it's specifically speaking to things that we as gay men experience. And you're talking about a very specific grouping of people. But there's also a universality to what you're talking about and that I've really learned from the men that I talk to, my clients, from uh, the men on the, this podcast who aren't queer, are, are not part of the LGBT community, that we're all craving that connection, intimacy, being seen, valued, heard. And there aren't very many, there, there haven't historically been safe models for how to do that as men. We as gay men lean into sexuality pretty in the physical, pretty as a, as a doorway into that. Um, and yet sometimes ends up making it even like re-entrenching stories about why it's unsafe to be with other people. Cause we do have those barbed swords that we use <laughs> against each other. And yet there's a universality to this that we're all trying to develop new models for intimacy, relationship, connection that do feel safe, that do allow us to be fully expressed beings, that do allow us to be the square peg rather than trying to continuously be the round peg that goes through the round hole. So I love that what we're talking about speaks to us as, as a shared community but it also has this universal message behind it that we're all seeking and that we can all do a better job at giving each other permission to find. Yes. I, lo I love that you have pointed that out, Travis. It's one of the things that has come to my attention, even though my podcast is relatively new, as in, you know, I think there's, I think episode number eight posted this week. So it's, it's very new, mm -hmm. but I've already become aware that I am drawing listeners that are straight male and female. They're reaching out to me and making comments and saying stuff like, well, this applies to me and I'm not gay. And I'm like, well, so a lot of this stuff is universal. I'm just applying it to my community because that's yeah. where I want to have the biggest impact. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is, is that I have a lot of women that listen to this podcast, even though it's about masculinity and the masculine energy. 
because there are universal messages in all of it. It's okay that we're tailoring our message to a certain part of the communities or certain kinds of people, but there is universality to it that I think the more and more people just hear our stories and watch and, and watch us relate to each other and engage in these curious and intimate and vulnerable conversations, the more permission it gives for people to do that out there in their life, no matter their gender identity, their sexuality, their religious orientation, their the their race, their any of those things. Without those specific things, we get to be people with each other again. Yes, absolutely. So so to your listeners I say there are straight people in your life that need to hear this. Give them the gift of sharing the new masculine podcast with them. I love that plug. Thank you. <laughs> There's one other question I really wanted to dive in with you about, which is many of the conversations that I've been having with people are talking about how masculinity is really just a social construct. It has changed over time. Like what is ideal as a ma as masculine has changed over time based on our cultural differences, based on uh, economic circumstances, based on uh, war in different time frames, or like the, it has been an evolving definition. And our current definition may have developed maybe somewhere in the 80s, 90s, somewhere in there and started to re-entrench itself. So if masculinity is a social construct, a performance, if you will, a version of drag, <laughs> like where we're putting this, this version of ourselves on in order to be manly in the world, how does authenticity play a role in that? Like if we're trying to perform masculinity, but your whole value system is around authenticity. How do we find the place where those two things meet? You know, I think what's coming up for me first is to say that, you know, the fact that it is a social or, or yeah, social or mental construct is, is the, the bad news. And, and then the fact that it is a, a social or mental construct is the good news. Because if it's a social construct, then that means we have the power to change it. And that's what this is about. You know, I, this may be hard for me to articulate, but I do think that there is a very distinct connection between authenticity and masculinity. I know for me, as I moved more into that authentic self, for me, what that meant was and it, and it might mean something different for each person. You know, e each person is going to have to step into their authentic self and then evaluate what masculinity means, what femininity means. For me, if I was going to really, really honor who I am, it meant that I had to let go of the either or mentality. That it's not about me being either masculine or feminine. I had to let go of one being better than the other. Which is so tough because we definitely as a culture prioritize yes, masculine. Do. Yes, we for do. Sure. There's a reason why the the biggest put down for a man is to feminize yes. him. But I, I can say from my own experience that the the feminine aspect of my beingness is where the strength comes from. Absolutely, hands down, where the strength comes from. 
um, I have been a very emotional man my whole life. I cry at the drop of a hat. And it's not sad tears. It can be all over the map. It can be happy tears. More often than not, I cry when I'm touched. I'm just emotionally touched. And that can come from the words of a song, from a line in a movie. It can come from a conversation that I'm having over coffee with a friend. I have certain friends that I, that I get together with men, some straight, some gay, that every time I am with them, we cry. I had breakfast with one of my straight male friends on Saturday morning. We've been friends for about 10 years. He's about 20 years younger than I am. And every single time we get together, we cry without fail. Every single time. It's mm -hmm. like we, we're such a safe place for each other that we will, you know, when the world doesn't feel quite so safe where you can let go of some of that, when we're each in each other's presence, there's just this unspoken, well, we're starting to speak about it now, but unspoken agreement that we're, we're just going to, we're just going to let out whatever we need to let out. In the last eight or nine months, I, I've gotten really close to my next door neighbor, who's like a 36-year-old straight man. Now, he just recently moved to San Diego. And every time we get together, and oftentimes when we talk on the phone or a Zoom, we both cry. He cries every time he is in my presence. And somebody said, it was a gay man said to me recently, you know, nobody really ever, ever recognizes this or thinks about it or talks about it. But for the straight men who have, don't feel so threatened and have allowed themselves to have gay friends, we really hold a safe space for them that they can't find anywhere else. And even that statement touched me so much that I could hardly speak. Because I have at least two and maybe three straight men that cry in my presence every time we're together. And it, it makes the, the first word that comes to my mind is just how honored I feel that they would, I know how hard it is for us as gay men to express those emotions and, and straight men who got all that double dose of masculinity stuff, you know, um, it's even, it's even harder. And yet, yet they do. They do. They share that part of themselves with me. I want to share that with all of my friends. I'm a sucker for a man that can cry straight gay. doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. You have just completely won me over. If you can cry in front of me. Because it opens a door that is so hard to open otherwise. I so appreciate you sharing the story because it's true to my experience too. I've had some straight male relationships that have been healing in both directions. Where I get to work on my own stuff around masculinity with, with safe men. And they get to integrate parts of the feminine that they don't give themselves permission to that crying that vulnerability because i 
have access to that and I give them permission through the space that I hold for them. And I think that's one of the things that I would love to see more often in our world is if we really can be authentic gay men connected to both our masculine and feminine, freeing ourselves from the wounding that we have, reclaiming who we are as authentic beings, we could really hold space for some of the transformation that's going on right now around masculinity. Some of the challenges that men are facing hearing language like toxic masculinity, like that are hearing about how the, the all the broken parts about being a man, we could actually hold space for the transformation. And I just thank you for being a man that's doing that to the kind of man that I want to be is to continue participating in the evolution of masculinity by claiming our space within the new masculine saying we may not have been given a seat at the table from the get-go but here we're taking we, a seat at this table we have something we to offer we're claiming yes. the space yes you know i i find that i have come to love the masculine energy within me and i have come to love the feminine energy within me because they both bring so much to the table Love, you know, we have to love all of our being. Self-love, self-love is the key to the kingdom. It's where everything starts. Everything emanates out from that. Which means we got to love all of ourselves, not just the likable or lovable parts. We have to love the not-so-lovable mm-hmm. parts. Yeah. Yeah, it's radical. It's revolutionary to actually love all yes. the parts of ourselves. Unconditional self-love. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not always mm-hmm. easy, yeah, but necessary. Totally necessary. So, as we're wrapping up this conversation, I've had just really enjoyed being able to connect with somebody who has had clearly a lot of very similar experiences to me, where we kind of can shorthand things and understand each other just based on our shared experiences. And so, thank you for being a man that is willing to come on here and do this kind of conversation with me. If you were going to give other men outside of our conversation one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? That piece of advice would be to make time for yourself every single day. Start to build a relationship with yourself in whatever way that looks like. You know, we all say things to ourselves, that if we said those exact same things to other people in our lives, they wouldn't be in our lives. And yet we say those things to ourselves. And then we get mad when somebody else says them to us. But we have set the example and trained them to do that because they've seen it, seen us do it to ourselves. I would say start to give yourself grace. Start to spend time looking in the mirror in your own eyes, not during your grooming activities, brushing your teeth, combing your hair. Spend time in the mirror looking into your own eyes and make peace with yourself. Self-love is everything else emanates out, out of that. And yes, it's hard. It is the work. And I, I just say step up. You know, I'm not saying man up. I'm saying step up. There's a difference. Mm, I love that. <laughs> yeah, because it has been, the man up thing has been used 
uh, in a way to yes. chip away at some of us and to shame us. But step up. Take ownership, take ownership of your life. Understand. You are the captain yeah. of your ship. And what other more masculine thing is there than that? Taking ownership of your life, whether you're gay, straight, that is that very is masculine. masculine. Even women that. who step up and take charge of their lives, they are, mm -hmm. they are drawing on their masculine energy. That is masculinity. Totally. Stepping up, taking charge of your life, owning it. Self-love and stepping it up. I'm here for that. That's great. Last piece of pieces of advice. Well, again, it's been such a pleasure to connect with you. I'm really hoping that other people will want to reach out to you and connect with you beyond just this conversation. So if people wanted to find out more about you, the work you're doing, the podcast you're hosting, how might they do they that? They can find the podcast at theauthenticgayman.com. They can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at the authentic gay man. Wait a minute. The podcast is the authentic gay man podcast.com. Got to add the word podcast. Good clarification. Yes. <laughs> Facebook and Instagram are at the authentic gay man. No podcast on the end of Great. that. A little confusing. Sorry about that. Hey, we all got to deal with what what's available to us out there. Well, I'll make sure that those are in the show notes so that it's really clear for people and they can access it um, really easily. I, I would love to invite your listeners to come give my podcast a listen. We're having some good stuff over there. We're having the conversations that we tend not to have. Yeah, totally. And a good access point is the one that we that he that Maddox and I had on episode six of the podcast. So go and check it out. Listen to me talk about my own story around shame and coping strategies. It was a real pleasure, and I'm really proud of that conversation that we had. I'm very proud of that conversation. It was a great episode, and I just want to say, Travis, this has been awesome to now twice have two really, really deep and meaningful conversations. You know, yes, they're being recorded, but I feel a sense of connection and closeness to you. I, you are now my friend and I want you to hear that. Yeah. Well, you and I are doing it right. We're diving in early. We're, we're getting to know each other on deep ways. We're not shying away from it. We're not posturing with each other. We're just creating intimate and safe space for each other. So Absolutely. I feel the same way. If people want to connect with me, you can go to my website at travisstock.com. You can find me on Instagram at Travers03, or you can email me directly at travisstock03 at gmail.com. If you're interested in becoming a contributor for the podcast and supporting the mission of The New Masculine, I'm on Patreon, so go to patreon.com slash The New Masculine. Again, that's patreon.com slash The New Masculine. Thank you again, my friend, for joining me, for bringing your authenticity, and for helping us explore the, the, the intersection between authenticity and masculinity. It's been a pleasure, Travis.